0: looking at what you want people to actually do is definitely the big starting point, I would say. Then you sort of start to see what to really measure that that matters.
1: Welcome to the Step Change Podcast with me, Mike Foster, the Entrepreneur's Mentor. Now, my podcast is established to help you with your thoughts in the development of your business. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by two guests who are going to share their experience, their expertise, their knowledge with you around the hot topic of marketing. Because ultimately, if we can't market our business, then ultimately, I think we may struggle. So I'm delighted to welcome um, Sally Green of Sally G Marketing and Sam Burkett of Aimable Marketing. And um, both friends of the Oxford business community and uh, delighted to have you both with us.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Thank you very lovely to be here and I should add that um, I was a guest of their podcast uh, Marked in Meanders recently and um, I encourage you to check out that on all the good platforms um, and and follow their own podcast but they're going to be sharing some of their thoughts to encourage you to listen to that (laughs) podcast I'm sure. Um, So first of all let's let's get uh, an introduction to the listeners. Uh, Sally kick off tell us a little bit more about your business.
2: Hello yes I'm a I've been a marketer for many years and I've started my own business and I now help people write marketing strategies. A strategy is not a marketing plan. It's an absolute strategy that puts all the processes in place. And what I really insist on is that you have a budget because the number of people that don't have a proper budget is extraordinary. And then I'll help you actually make sure that you have a schedule for doing things so you don't just do things ad hoc. So your strategy is something that you will build for yourself I will help you, but you will build it for yourself and then you'll have a sustainable strategy that you can build your growth on. Fantastic. And Sam?
0: Fantastic. How do I follow that? That was so concise and wonderful. Yeah. So um, uh, I, I basically uh, focus mainly on uh, educational marketing, higher education, and, and also uh, working with uh, people in the professional services sector as a, a main area of my marketing. But similar to Sally, really, I mean, I, I work certainly on marketing strategy, but in particular, I like to focus on uh, proposition development and uh, messaging uh, for content strategies in particular. And no, bang on about content. we it comes to that, I'm sure. But uh, I focus so much on, on content development. You know, doing a lot of high high end stuff, working with media companies, people like that who can actually bring stories out from slightly more complex B two B products. Um, and then actually, I work with deployment as well with with internal marketing teams.
1: So yeah, that's where I'm at the moment. I've been doing it for a few years, and it's fun. Fantastic. Well, great to have you both with us, and looking forward to to your thoughts. I'm going to kick off really with the common word that you both use, which is strategy, because actually quite a lot of businesses I see don't seem to have a strategy with their marketing. It's a little bit of a shiny little thing over there and I'll go and sign up to that or there's a nice little idea and someone's having some success with that so I'll go and try that over there. So tell us a little bit more strategy. What as a small business should we be thinking about from a strategy perspective?
0: Well, I was going to say, we we quite often uh, talk about, uh, well, I do a lot, uh, We, in particular about three levels of of strategy. So I think from a marketing standpoint, I mean, uh, There's this, you know, the strategic level, there's operational, then there's also tactical. And I think people look at marketing, as you said, Mike, perhaps from the the tactical shiny thing, uh, which is happening following a trend, um, or they perhaps say, well, actually, the big grand strategy is to achieve, you know, um, X number of sales in a year's time but they don't have the actual operational resources in the middle and the tactics to deploy on that. So I think, first of all, as as Sally mentioned it before, one of the key things is is actually sitting down and properly working out where you want to be, so getting that strategic vision. Having the budget behind it is a very good way to start to actually then work out what do I need to achieve that strategy and how do we actually do it. So I think leading into what Sally's probably going to go into, I think that's probably the the initial thing you need to start thinking about rather than coming in the wrong direction. You need to start from the top and then go through those three sections. But um, yeah, Because you
2: just might find that you don't need to spend quite as much money as you think. You might think, oh, it's all going to be terribly expensive and how do I measure returns? Is it going to be wasted money? But you might find that if you actually answer the how question properly... It's not going to be as expensive as you think and you're going to be able to do it in small chunks, but they're going to be chunks that are connected to each other. So you do tactic A, which is linked to tactic B, and you don't have to do it all in a rush, but you do have to do it consistently. You've got to have a plan. You really do need a plan. And it's not just a little plan for that tactic. It's an overall yearly plan to say, we are launching a new product here. So we will need to round that or bracket that with some market before it, some marketing during the launch and then some marketing after it. So you need to sit down with a really big plan, piece of paper. I do it on a great big A3 piece of paper and draw it, what you're going to do because it makes it tactile and fundamental. And then... Budget what you say you want to do because you may have to cut things out or you might have money to add stuff. Mm.
0: And that's the thing, isn't it? I, mean, I think so often people, they they perhaps think that it, we always talk about the fact that people perhaps do a marketing strategy that's sort of 50 pages long. <laughs> and people are worried about, you know, you think, well, it must be complex. But it's like actually it should start with the simplest idea at the very beginning of it and the, the why. Why am I here doing this business in the first place, both in terms of why why I want to do it, what I want to give to my customers, but also... You know, what is the essence of the whole plan that we're trying to achieve here in, in the audience that we actually want to get on board and sell whatever we're doing to them. You know, you need to start with that and have that understanding. And then it's getting into actually having that plan, that budget set down into the specifics at the later date. But you have to have that in place, you know, to to make sure you can move forward in a in a systematic way. Cause obviously you've got to deploy it
2: and i mean sam made a really good point there the word customer should be the biggest thing on that piece of paper you're writing about who are they where are they what do they look like what do they like doing how much money have they got to spend you have got to have your customer before you start strategizing anything clearly in your brain certainly i think you know more and more businesses
1: haven't they have come into sort of niches or vertical markets over the last five years but there are surprisingly still a large number of people trying to market to everybody and we've all got limited resources haven't we in terms of time and money for our marketing and uh, you know for a lot of businesses that's a waste uh, to a degree so what what are you seeing in terms of niching and and vertical markets well, um, I think
0: I think people that there's. It's interesting, actually. More in my sector, actually, in particular, um, uh, focusing mainly on education. Um, people coming into obviously now virtual. The word virtual, I'm, I'm sick to death of the word virtual. Actually, <laughs> in many ways, but the virtual market for you know for education. I mean, uh, there's very much people trying. There's a vast array of differences in terms of what what education means. And I'm not going to bore you with all that in terms of what I think on it. But I think in terms of people sort of coming into markets and trying to say, well, we can get an online offering here, can't we, quite quickly and we can put something um, together. And they they may be able to do that. But I mean actually the the essence of of what that education is that everything that backs up those those courses and what you're actually trying to provide. Um, you could have quite a flash marketing campaign. But I think people find out quite quickly what's got the real substance and what what has got what's more of a sort of a, a quicker style operation that's coming overnight to a certain degree but
2: I think you've got to be really careful because I think it's very tempting to say oh look everything's changed now post-covid everything's going to be different we're all going to be hybrid we're all going to go online but actually have your audience got there are your customers online are they asking you to be there are they responding to you better when you're online so you need to do some quite fundamental measuring before you start niching and pivoting and all those things you've got to work out Because actually, you might find that what you're doing now is absolutely fine. Don't just immediately think, oh, gosh, I've got to pivot. Mm. Measure and find out whether you need to.
1: Tell us more about that measuring then, because I think that's, as you say, it's critical, isn't it, in terms of measuring? And I think there's so much uncertainty still out there in terms of people returning to office. Are they going to stay remote? Is it going to be a hybrid? That's just one part of the business. But affecting a market marketing plan if you like what what would you sort of like encourage the small businesses out there to do in terms of you know what could you do to
2: measure there are your basic analytics please 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 don't ever forget them they're really boring and learn how to do them properly the number of people i say analytics oh yeah i've got good analytics and you think "Mm, and what does that mean and you know that they don't necessarily understand the word so just try and understand what does it mean when you say people are coming to your website How long are they staying there? If all you're looking at is, you know, 200 people came to my website and the longest one of them stayed was two seconds. This is not a good bit of analytics. So you need to look at what people are doing on your website if you think that you're now going to go online. Are people actually engaging with your website or are they arriving, writing down your address and then visiting your shop? Is that what they're doing? In which, And you need to look at that carefully. So do some sensible measuring of that kind of thing. Also... You then need to look at your income stream. Where is that money coming from? If you are somebody who has a shop, are, is, is most of your money still coming through the tills in the store or are you getting more online? I, what? How is that working? It's the basics that sometimes people don't do. Are you getting more online sales than in-store sales? Measure them and see. Just step back a moment and go, is this real? Am I really turning into something different? So what are the numbers and trends telling you, yeah?
0: Mm. I mean, I, I think it's interesting because you look at, I mean, I'm working with a client at the moment who um, hadn't really looked at their analytics, to be honest, but actually it was more a case of understanding, well, what, yeah, again, what, what's actually the important analytics to look at, you know, what, so if you're looking at it saying, as you said, Sally, well, we've got a great number of people here doing this, coming to the website, interacting with us on social media, brilliant, but what are the trends saying in comparison to what is always my first thing in comparison to what is that good? Is it bad? What are they doing? Can look at your customer journey. So if your, your strategy is saying, we want to get, you know, the website is the main shop window. Okay, great. So we need to get 2,000 people a month and then 20 purchases, say. Um, then, okay, fine. Are we getting those? We can see the front and the end and then look in the middle to then work out diagnosing what are we doing to influence this? Are we trying to get more than 2,000? Are we trying to convert more of the 2,000 to get 40 instead of 20? And so I'd say go back to the, sort of, the basics and sort of look at, well, where does the customer journey need to go? to actually get them in. We always use this analogy on our podcast about uh, the shop our shop with our handbags. And so everything goes back to that, you know, if you if you're struggling to sort of get your head around analytics, just to just look at it in terms of like if i were accounting numbers of people coming, looking at my shop window, coming to the door, looking at a product, coming to the till, walking out the door, coming back, that's my whole customer journey. And so I'd say try and keep it quite simple because analytics analytics can get a bit particularly for small business owners it can be a bit wow, well, what are all these numbers telling me? Um, but looking at what you want people to actually do is definitely the big starting point, I would say. Then you sort of start to see what to really measure that, that matters, really, I think.
2: Also, there, there's something, I'm sure we're going to talk about content, but how many people actually visit your blog pages? And you, uh, you'll probably be alarmingly surprised at not that many. Very nice, they might look at them on your social networking, but they possibly aren't using them on your website. And that might be because you're not telling anyone about them on your website you're not saying the right things so i think it's really important to get to your customer journey if all they do is coming in looking at three products then finding the till and leaving maybe you're wasting time on all those other things that your website's full of
1: you, you touched on something earlier that you know, i'm pretty passionate about being a numbers person if you like because is the budget because it does frustrate me when people say to me, how much do you think I should put in my marketing budget? Is it a percentage of my turnover? And I'm going... You could do it like that. I think <laughs> it could be a little bit more strategic on that. But <laughs> do you think that's in part why, you know, what I alluded to earlier is that people don't have a a marketing, strategy, marketing plan. They sort of like take one thing because that's what they can afford at this moment in time and then see what the return on investment is of that thing before they then think, oh, that worked or it didn't work. I'll try something else.
2: People also don't know how much things cost. So that you sit down with your plan... And it goes, you know, I'm going to do three pieces of content. I'm going to do six LinkedIn ads. I'm going to a Google ad and a Facebook ad. And people, if you said to somebody, how much is that going to cost you? They'll go, oh, don't know. And it is, quite hard. I mean, it is quite hard to say how much things cost because a LinkedIn ad doesn't cost one thing. It depends how many people visit it, if it's pay-per-click, et cetera, et cetera. You can limit them, but you don't know how much it's going to cost you. But you need to sit down and start roughly outlining, which is why, although it's absolutely wrong to set your marketing budget by saying I'll set it at 6% of turnover, it might be a really good idea if you really don't know to give yourself a a chunk of money you can afford to spend. Otherwise, you'll end up not doing the right things. You might find that actually you can afford to do more than that or less as your your strategy develops. But giving yourself a chunk is helpful because it gives you a pattern
1: it's a really useful mindset actually yeah
0: yeah yeah and it's interesting as well i think these days particularly with um you know with you you know your earned your media and your you know what what you're doing in terms of creating content as we've said before i mean it could be that actually your marketing you're you're spending opportunity cost of i don't know 10 hours a week producing fantastic um uh videos or something and you're not promoting them you're you're putting them out organically on your channel you've got great followers you don't have to have thousands of followers because you've got the followers you need for your business to survive and you're spending hardly anything on marketing. That almost feels like, you know, we were talking uh, offline about sort of imposter syndrome. That almost feels like imposter marketing. You sort of think, well, that can't be right. I'm getting customers, and I'm not actually spending hundreds of thousands of pounds on 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 promoting it. You think, it doesn't matter. You know, if if that's actually working for you, it's working for you. But, I mean, I think then it, it's a constant review, isn't it, really? is that That's why we have plans with budgets. We see what we spend. We're, we're trying to get to the golden thing of return on investment and attribution of a marketing, which is, is still a, that's a whole other that's podcast, a very dark uh, but, um, but still, you know, you, you actually, you got that plan. You say this, is how much we're spending on this activity, that, that activity, doing your trends, you're working out what's working, what's not working. But as you say, not saying, right, well, it's just going to be 10%. That's it. And we'll just set it at that for this year. And, and we will not touch it. You know, it's understanding what's working, what's not working. And if it is costing you more, but it is getting you, you know, you, You've got to get the numbers, as you said, mate. You've got to get the numbers lined up to work out what's actually happening, and do. A bit. You have to do a bit of maths. Unfortunately, that has to happen, and you will know where you
1: stand. You know, prime part of your financial modelling, isn't it? At the end of the day, yeah. And I say to people, you know, that people find it really easy when they are doing their financial forecast to come into the standard cost of their business, not their rent, and how much their people cost them, and then they get to marketing or, or just put a number in the line. But then, then when you get to the top line in terms of turnover, they go yeah, finger in the air. I think I'll do five thousand. Pound per month or fifty thousand pound per month. And I said, "Well, if you don't get that, what are you going to do next month? Try a little bit harder." Oh, well, well I probably tried as hard as I did. Well, actually, why don't you break that down and say that five thousand or fifty thousand should be a number of customers' average sales value, and you know it ultimately what you're aiming for.
2: Or you start making the really bad, bad bad mistake So you're expecting to make this much, but you don't. So what's the easiest budget to cut because your return isn't looking good? Mm, marketing. We'll cut the marketing budget. And it's a really big mistake. And I think quite a lot of some of my clients have done that over COVID. They've said, oh, gosh, we're not making any money. The one pedal I'm going to take my foot off is marketing. We just won't do anything. We'll wait till it all comes back. And if you stop doing that, then you, you're in a really tricky position when you come back because other people haven't taken their pedal off, taken their foot off the pedal. Yeah, I did
1: listen to one of your podcasts with another friend of the network, um, Nick Hughes. Uh, and talking about that debate between sales and marketing, but I guess that's another discussion for somebody to go and catch up on your podcast than, than this one. Um, I think the thing, obviously, it wouldn't be a, a podcast at, at this moment not to talk about COVID and lockdown. And, uh, you know, how are you seeing in terms of businesses reacting post COVID, um, post lockdown, if you like? You know, are they pivoting? Are they keeping fairly consistent? What, what, what are you seeing at the moment? Well, you can
0: go if you want to so say, I was jumping in again. Um, uh, so I think in my, um, I keep going back to, to my sector really at the moment, it's, it's been education and higher education has been, um, executive education is my main focus. That's been tumultuous, uh, certainly in terms of like the, the offerings that have been out there for people. Clearly the whole thing, the, the very strength of the offering you have is uh, around diversity of a class of 30 executives coming from all over the world in one room for a week. And that's not a good model in, in the middle of a pandemic, perhaps. So it's had to change radically. But um products have evolved, actually. Um hybrid offerings have evolved. Uh, things that people thought they couldn't do, actually now they can do. Um so that's definitely changed mindsets there. Working practices I've noticed of many people I work with have, have quite radically changed. That I mean, pretty much reflecting what you see in the new in the media really around some people coming back to offices, some and not going back hardly at all. You know, it, it's been a real mix, I would say, from that point of view. But I think from a marketing standpoint as well, again, probably the, the panic button sort of gets pressed around, you know, are we going to get income coming in? I mean, from my perspective and from a number of other marketers who I work with, independent uh, marketers, they've never been busier, actually, which is a good thing. And I don't want to touch some wood at this point, but um, it's it has been a really, really busy period. So I think there's almost been, I thought my business might sort of dry up overnight with um, the pandemic um, but people, most of my clients sort of said, no, 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 we need to spend the time and money now to really get in there. Cause everyone, everything's changed. We need new media. We need new ways of communicating with people. We've got new offerings. How do we do all this? So, and that's carrying on. So I would say there's been a bit of a boom. I think at some stage there's bound to be some sort of re- rebalancing or something or perhaps, but I, I have a feeling my water that might happen, but I think it's been really, really quite busy from a marketing and certainly a freelance marketer's point of view, it seems to be.
2: I think it's made people braver. I think they've sudden people have been able to accept change because change has been forced upon them because things closed, and they've had to do something different. I think they've suddenly realised that maybe that isn't quite so scary, and actually maybe it was really quite exciting. I've got a client who they make soap, and they used to have a little shop, and they used to just sell soap from their shop, and all of a sudden they thought, ooh, better a website, and now they've got they've trebled their turnover. From their website and they are contemplating not reopening their shop mm-hmm. it's not the only way anymore and they are genuinely thinking maybe that we don't have to do this anymore and they thought well actually you know, what we'll do is we'll have both and you think that's marvellous why not do that either so I think that's happened I and mean, the other thing that has happened is that I've got one their client base has increased so all of a sudden if you go online your base isn't just in Upper Netherford which is where your shop is it's possibly international And I've got two clients that are trying to work out whether whether international marketing is the same as marketing to their at-home customers. So do they have to do something different to market to? They've got some customers in Africa and New Zealand. Do they have to do something different to keep marketing to those people or do they just assume they'll keep coming? Mm. So it's been some really interesting thinking for them.
1: Mm. Yeah, and it's really great to hear that... um, you know, the market seems to be buoyant and people in the industry are are busy. I'm certainly seeing that there's more trust in outsourcing to experts than I've probably ever seen before um, in terms of bring. And I think it's, in sense, you know, what I've seen is that every time there's a light at the end of the tunnel, there's sort of like been that sort of boost of, of people trying to get ready for, but I think this time there seems less barriers to stop that light actually coming to fruition. So I think businesses are just trying to get their ducks in a row and be ready for, I understand most people talking about the 1st of September, get the holidays out of the way and get September ready and get the marketing proposition out there, whether it's like you say, whether we've had to pivot and change, etc. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think we have to be careful because I think some companies that I know of are actually cutting back their marketing team, in-house marketing team and outsourcing it. Mm -hmm. And that's a very valuable thing to do. You have to make sure you've got the costs right because us freelancers don't come free. So sometimes you might be getting it. We're actually more expensive than your in-house team, but never mind. Um, but you ha- if you want, are going to do that? That can be a very wise thing to do because you can probably get a, a deeper, a depth of experience and ex- and quality. However, at the same time, they are not part of your business, so it takes a lot. You have to think carefully about training them up. Because I know both of us, we work. If you go into a big company where you suddenly become part of it. It takes a long time to work out and to be part of their ethos. Mm -hmm. And people do have a tendency to think you'll just appear, do something magical, which will absolutely fit in with their brand and vision and methoding, and then you'll disappear again. And that's not necessarily what's going to happen.
1: Well, great. Thank you so much for your thoughts and content for part one of our conversation because I'm actually going to take this into a part two which is quite rare actually for me (laughs) um, because I do enjoy uh, our conversations and um, I'm probably going to just be copying what you do at Marketing Meanders podcast by having two part episodes so sorry for copying but um, I thought it'd be be great just to take that forward and we will certainly get onto content as you talked about Um, in the meantime I encourage my listeners to tune into your podcast Marketing Meanders but also to check you out online so Sam. How do we find you if we want to check you out online?
0: Well, two places, really. I mean, LinkedIn's a very good one. I'm on there all the time. Uh, so just look for Sam Burkett. Uh, or you can find me at amiablemarketing.co.uk.
2: And Sally? Again, I am on. I too i am on LinkedIn all the time, posting bits and stuff and profound advice. Um, but I have a website as well, which is um, sallygreen.org. Fantastic.
1: Well, thanks. And uh, like I say, encourage the listeners to, to check you out and uh, tune in a couple of weeks' time when we'll be back for more conversation around marketing in part two of this conversation. So thanks for listening to this episode of the Step Change podcast from me, Mike Foster, the Entrepreneur's Mentor. I've kindly been joined by Sally Green of Sally G Marketing and Sam Burkett of um, Aimble Marketing. And we've been talking all things marketing really to this point. Give it a couple of weeks. We'll be back with part two and um, make sure you tune into the podcast then.